This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, We will guide you along on the screen. The title of our series for the book of Ephesians is simply In Christ. In Christ. It is a simple title, but yet it is a profound title. It is a a simplistic title, but it is a deep meaning to it. This entire book of Ephesians walks us through what it is like to live in Christ. What it is like to stand in Christ. In Christ this morning, what it is like to have our relationships built in Christ this morning. The first three chapters of the book really deal a little more theologically about who we are and and where we are standing in Christ uh, before God. We're going to go through that. If I had to break down um, our series into two series, I would do chapters one through three would be our riches in Christ, and then chapters four through six would be our relationships. In Christ, and so that's kind of a sub breakdown of that. Uh, but I have have been looking forward uh, to the book of Ephesians. Um, does anybody have like favorite books of the Bible? I have favorite books of the Bible. Ephesians is on my short list of favorite books of the Bible. I love uh, running to Ephesians. I like it because it is balanced theologically, but also practically. If you want to find out how to be a good husband. It's found in the book of Ephesians. If you want to find out what it is to be a good wife, it's found in the book of Ephesians. If you want to find out what it is to be a good worker at your job, it's found in the book of Ephesians. If you want to find out a lot of those relational things, you find it there, those practical things. But if you want to find out how does God view me because of what Jesus did on the cross, you're going to find that in the book of Ephesians. Hey, what's the deal with the Holy Spirit? Why, how does he work in all this in salvation? How does he work in sealing me? How does, we'll find that in the book of Ephesians. It is a very rich Book And I am excited. I told you this last week. I'm taking my time through this book. I don't care how long it takes us because God, I believe, is going to speak to our church through it. The title of today's message is simply this. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. The way the sermon structured this morning is I'm going to give you some background uh, to the book. I'm going to give you uh, a look in... Uh, the author and the different the areas and things like that in the book. And then we're going to highlight these two words. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. By the way, Paul was not arrogant, but Paul was confident in who God had called him to be. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints which are at Ephesus... And to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read it again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Speak through your word, God, as we just unpack the history of this book. God, we just see the 
opening greeting this week, God, and we're diving headfirst into this book beginning next week as well. But God, I pray that you would give us a thirst and a desire for the book of Ephesians. God, as your Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul. God, as your Holy Spirit wanted to get a message to the Christians in and around Ephesus. God, I pray that this morning we would take this verse as God sending a message, or this, this book, as God sending a message to our church here at Keystone. God, we would take it to heart. We love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to jump right in today. I'm really excited about today because we have some people that are going to, that have completed the membership process and will be joining our church today. And we're going to do that at the end. And I am pumped about that. But I want to make sure that we get to where we need to go. All right. So that's what we, that's what we're going to do. Number one, I want us to see simply this this morning, Paul's authorship and the audience. Okay. I want us to understand who wrote it. And I want us to understand who it was written to. That is basic Bible 101, by the way. It's really cool. It's really not even cool. It's really important that you understand who wrote something and who it was written to. For instance, was it written to saved people or was it written to unsaved people? Was it written to Jews or was it written to Gentiles? Is it Old Testament? Was that promise for the children of Israel only? Or is that a promise that transcends to us today? Every time we study our Bible and we read our Bible, we must try to understand it in context. And you say, Josh, I didn't go to seminary. That's not my thing. That's fine. Get you a study Bible. I can, I can suggest a couple to you that can help you walk through some of these things. But understanding who is writing and understanding who they are writing to is key in comprehending scripture. We see who wrote it, Paul, clearly the author of this book, even though there have been some who have claimed that due to the nature of this book being so closely related to the book of Colossians, that this was maybe a someone who ghost wrote for Paul. I don't believe that. I, that's not my, I don't think that that's the way it would work. There are some people who, who believe that. I am more of a literal interpretation guy. I believe when it says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that it was Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, how many of you, uh, you're a reader as a kid? Any of you read the Hardy Boys? Raise your hand if you read the Hardy Boys as a kid. And then there was, uh, what was the, the, Nancy Drew? That was the, yeah, okay. Now, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, because this is my childhood. But there came a day in my childhood when I realized that Franklin W. Dixon, who was the author of the Hardy Boys series, was not that person's name. And that angered me. <laughs> like, what in the world? Like, you've been lying to me this whole time, Franklin. Uh, come to find out, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that it wasn't even a man that wrote I think it was a lady that wrote the... I, I'm not, that could be wrong. I'm probably preaching heresy right now. But... Uh, but I remember that. I'm like, man, I don't like that. I don't, like, I don't believe that's what we have today. I don't think we have Franklin W. Dixon writing this passage. Like, guess what? That's not me. Um, what we have today, I believe, is legitimate uh, that Paul penned this uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we know that Paul was the author of a major portion of the New Testament. Paul wrote letters to these churches. Paul's missionary journeys would take him from city to city and country to country and place to place. And Paul would follow back up in, in modern 
times we would probably just fly there and do a, a training seminar for the pastors and churches for a little while. Or maybe even if we were really smart, we would, uh, we would Skype in. That's like five years ago. We would, we would do whatever, video in, and we would, uh, we would be able to do this very easily and keep in contact with those churches and, and stay, uh, make sure those churches are staying theologically correct. But Paul would write them letters. And this letter, many believe, was to be read aloud inside of those churches. But Paul's testimony is a powerful testimony. If you think about the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul was a religious terrorist. I, I, I know I've said this a couple of times, but that's fine. I think we need to comprehend this. If Paul existed in 2018, Paul would be an ISIS terrorist. Paul would be someone who went around and found someone and asked them, hey, will you renounce your faith in Christ? And they say no, and he would kill them. That is exactly what Paul would do modern day. And I don't, I don't know if we can really comprehend this because I don't know we've, that we've seen it modern day. But to see someone who did that aggressively have his life changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is walking on the Damascus road and he is comes upon him. This is not just a one, two, three, pray with me. This is not just, hey, if you just follow these three things here, you'll be good. No, this was God touching him and putting his, placing his conviction upon him and not just, not just changing his eternity, but changing his now. And he was born again and called at the same time. I mean, it was life changing for Paul. Paul's life never would look the same. In fact, all the zeal and all the fervor that he had killing Christians, he took that zeal and that fervor and he turned it around to, to win people to Christ for the rest of his life. It took a little while in the life of Paul. We know that when he first converted, just like if someone modern day would convert, there would be a little bit of tension there at the beginning, and there was for Paul. There were people who didn't believe his testimony. They didn't believe that what happened to him truly happened to him, and Paul had to prove himself. But he spent the rest of his days doing that, telling people about Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. And Paul's zeal and his fervor and his passion and his, his productivity made waves in the ancient world and also even here in Ephesus. And God had called Paul to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only to the Jews, which everybody Old Testament moving forward knew that the gospel was for the Jews, but he called Paul to present and proclaim that good news of the gospel also to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 22, verse 21, Paul, uh, it said about Paul, he said to me, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. And as you can imagine, that would cause some chaos and some problems and some issues every now and then when you have one group of people saying that Jesus is only for me, he's not for you. Jesus is just for me, not for you. And then you have someone else come in and go, no, he's not just for you. Uh, he's for everyone. It caused waves and caused problems. So Paul is the author. Whenever Paul speaks, I listen. If Paul were here today, I would very quickly sit my tail down and listen to whatever Paul said. That would be the, the right thing to do. But he wrote this letter, yes, to the church at Ephesus, but many believe and respected 
people, in my opinion, believe that this letter was not just written to this one local church in Ephesus, but it was written to those who believed and the churches around Ephesus as well. Um, in fact, they say in many of the old manuscripts, the, the part of Ephesus was, some say, it was left with a blank line, and each church that they would go to to read this letter to, they would replace the name of that church in and around Ephesus with that church's name. So if it was Durham, you know, it would just replace it with Durham during this part. It's, be, it's because of this that we firmly believe that this letter was probably the most widely distributed letter that Paul wrote. The nature of the letter seems to be that Paul wanted this read aloud, almost sermon style, so that people could hear what he had to say. He exhorted the saints, he encouraged the saints, he gave them instruction. And this letter could easily be read from chapter 1 through the end of the book verbally and and be well understood uh, by churches. And so Paul wrote this letter and he wrote it to the church at Ephesus, but we, we believe he wrote it to the church of Ephesus and beyond. He wrote it to any neighboring church and any sister churches around there, making this letter widely read and widely spread. But secondly, this morning we see this Paul's history in Ephesus. Paul's history in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 is where, where we see uh, the interaction with Paul in Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city in what we now know of as western Turkey. It was located on the coast of the Aegean Sea. For all you geography nerds, uh, that's where it is. It's across the water or a long ways around to Jerusalem. It's a, it was definitely a missionary town, a missionary city. It was considered a gateway city to the rest of what we now call Asia Minor. That's where people would come in on the Aegean Sea. They would port and they would dock there in Ephesus and they would do their business elsewhere throughout the land. And, and you know, similar here at this group here yesterday, they went to Wilmington, North Carolina, one of my favorite cities in all the world. And they hung out in Wilmington. Similar to that, if in those times, if you were going to come to Durham, you would probably come through a city like Wilmington. You would dock there and you would make the two-hour drive. It wouldn't be that back in the day. It would be uh, a couple of days on, on whatever, however you were walking or however you got here. But it's similar to that, just a gateway city that would open up to the rest of the land. In Acts chapter 19, we see the context of Paul's ministry. Here down in verse 10, Acts chapter 19 verse 10 says, And this continued by the space of two and a half years, or of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. It says, and this continued by the space. What was this? This was simply Paul would go into the, 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 the debate hall of Tyrannus and declare the truth of Jesus. He did this for two solid years. He didn't stand in a church like we have today. He didn't stand in an organized place and, and preach and pastor a church. No, he went into the public debate areas, into the public halls, and he proclaimed Jesus there in Ephesus. Ephesus being that metropolis, that major city, that, that city positioned there on the sea, uh, by the seaport, by the water. It was frequented by many different types of people, Jews, Greeks, all different, all over the place would come there to the city of Ephesus. And as they would come in and out of the city, Paul would be there. 
and Paul would be preaching the gospel there in that debate hall. And this is where many would come. Uh, oftentimes in the afternoon, they said this was like a, a napping area, which is great. It's like you guys do on Sundays. When, uh, when someone gets up and preaches, it's like an hour nap. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We don't have anybody that does that. Um, or if they do, they're not here today. Um, but uh, take a look around, figure it out. I'm just kidding. Um, but during that afternoon time, kind of a break time in the city, Paul would stand up and he would proclaim Jesus. He would proclaim Jesus. And as you can imagine, Paul would proclaim Jesus to a wide variety of people. He would proclaim Jesus to, to sailors. He would proclaim Jesus to travelers. He would proclaim Jesus, Jesus to people that lived in the city of Ephesus. But then he would proclaim Jesus to people that lived far inland and who would just be there maybe waiting for a, a, a ship to leave. The city of Ephesus was known for its pagan worship of the Roman emperor. In fact, his statue was everywhere in the city. And uh, Timothy, who served as the pastor of the church in Ephesus for a time, he penned these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And many people who have studied uh, believe that these words had the town of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus in mind when he spoke them. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In fact, to this day, there is still an ancient sign in the town of Ephesus. If you come in off the water and you walk into that area, you will see a sign. It was directing sailors to areas where there were prostitutes. That was the type of city that we find this church in and find this letter written to. As you can imagine, this city that was sick in sin, this city that had all these problems and issues in it, people coming in and out, a transient area, you can imagine that, that the truth of the gospel that Paul presented, that Timothy presented, that others presented here in the town of Ephesus was sometimes met with some resistance. It was sometimes met with some problems and some conflict and some issues. In fact, Acts chapter 19, continuing on in that passage, verse 13 through 20 tells us the story of Jewish exorcists who came in and tried to proclaim the name of Christ and the name of Paul and tried to cast out demons with no power from God, with no power of the Holy Spirit. These were unsaved exorcists who came through and they were unsuccessful in their attempt. And so we had people that were just practicing some pagan things taking place. I love what happened there though. They failed in their attempt to cast out demons. But the Bible says that the, the word of the Lord was magnified, that the name of Jesus was magnified, and that the word of God grew mightily and prevailed through it. They were not, it was not easy. They were met with conflict. They were met with problems. But the word of God and the name of Christ mag, was magnified and prevailed. Needless to say, the spiritual climate in this city was a challenge. Not only for the church at Ephesus, but for the churches that surrounded it. And how I want us to apply this this morning is that no matter how much the culture in our town, no matter how much the culture in our city turns its back on God, we are called to stand in that debate hall in the afternoon and to boldly proclaim Christ just as Paul would stand in the hall of Tyrannus and he would stand there every day and he would preach Jesus Christ for two years straight, solid. 
No matter how bad the culture was, there would definitely uh, more than likely be men that would pass right by Paul as he's preaching the good news of Christ and they would go down and meet a prostitute. No doubt. No doubt there were people that scoffed at him. And no, there, there's no question in my mind. But we are not called to a comfortable community. We are called to take Jesus Christ to those who have rejected him, to those who are continuing to reject him. We are commanded to, to, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. If they were already found, then we're out of a job. If they were already found, then there's no purpose for outreach and there's no purpose to proclaim Christ. The purpose this morning is to find the dark, sin-sick areas in our community and to shine the light of Jesus in those areas. I look at it this way, simply put, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Hey, we look around us and we look at our culture and we say, I can't believe that we are at a time in our, in our culture where we would say that this is acceptable in our culture. I can't believe it. And some of the old school, some of us old school people get mad. That ain't the America I grew up in. Ha, ha, ha. And we get all mad. How about this? How about here's a great opportunity for us to share the truth of Jesus Christ in a culture who, for the most part, rejects him. For the culture, in a culture that, for the most part, doesn't care about him. For the most part, who thinks that this is all not real. Hey, listen, the darker the night, the brighter the light. That's all introduction this morning. <laughs> Don't you love it? My dad used to do that. He used to make me so angry. <clears throat> I really have this last thrust of the message right here. And it's what we wanted to get to. And this is Paul's graceful greeting. Paul's graceful greeting. This is a typical greeting from Paul. I'm not here today to try to overdo Paul's greeting. I am here today to give it the weight that I believe it deserves. Um, verse 2, he says this to the church, to the Christians. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace be to you and peace. Certainly, if you have read the New Testament, you have seen Paul address other churches this way in his letters. Not every single one does he, but many of them he does. But I believe in the book of Ephesians that Paul not only begins the letter with grace and peace, but that he follows through the entire book with these themes woven throughout the book. I'm going to take you through several of the verses of grace and peace. Grace and peace. Ephesians 1, verses 6 and 7. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verses 13 and 14 of the same chapter. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Grace and peace. And, it came to, and he and came and preached, verse 17 of chapter 2, he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh, to those that were near, to those that were far, he preached peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Same chapter, verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Chapter 6 and verse 15, we're not done, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 23 and 24, peace be to the brethren. He closes the, verse, the, the letter out. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Have you got it yet? Grace. And, you want me to go back through them? I'm just kidding. Grace and peace. Some of y'all, that's the most Bible you've heard in a sermon in a long time. I'm just kidding. All right. I usually start my sermons with, let me read this one verse of scripture and then put your Bibles away and pay attention. I don't do that. I will never do that to you. I promise. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. That is the essence of the Christian life this morning. And I fear that we do not fully grasp what seems to be a very simple biblical concept and that is the concept of the grace of God that gives us the peace of God. That biblical concept. Instead of living in grace and peace, I fear that we choose to live under the law and in chaos. What's the opposite of grace and peace? I fear that we live under the law and in chaos. I fear this morning that we don't understand grace and that we don't live in peace. I believe that we live under rules and rules and rules and regulations and regulations and regulations and laws and laws and laws and condemnation and condemnation. I, I fear we live in chaos, chaos and wars. I fear that there's turmoil in our lives. And I come here today as Paul proclaimed to, the, to the, the, the Christians in Ephesus today, I come here to declare to you that you don't have to live in, in chaos and under the rules and bounds of sin. I come here today to tell you you can live in grace and you can live in peace. To me, that's the greatest news that I could hear. As Paul opens up this book, he tells them that I wish grace and I wish peace. Grace be to you and peace. Paul wants these Christians in, in Ephesus and around Ephesus and the surrounding areas to live in the grace that Jesus offers. And grace is simply this. There's not a simpler way of putting it. Grace is us getting something that we do not deserve. Grace is 
obviously saves us because we don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve heaven. But Paul not only wants us to bask in the grace that saves us, but he wants us to also understand the grace that sustains us in our daily lives. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we know that, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, right? We understand grace is for saving. But if we look in Ephesians chapter 4, the context of Ephesians chapter 4 is how we are supposed to live and walk in our lives, our Christian lives. And look what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 7. He says this, but unto you in your daily walk, after you're saved, in your daily walk, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And what I want us to understand this morning is that God gives us grace that saves us and he gives us grace that sustains us. Hey, God does not save you by grace and then say, good luck. Hey, yeah, we'll save you. And that's the problem. Let me just say, it's the problem with just making salvation. Uh, do you not want to go to hell? That's the problem with that. You ask any sane individual the question, do you want to go to hell? They're going to say no. That's the problem with that. No, we, have to, we need to comprehend grace. We need to understand grace. We need to understand that when, when we accept the grace that saves us in Ephesians chapter 2, we get the grace that sustains us in, in Ephesians chapter 4. Hey, we're going to find out in Ephesians chapter 1 that God gives us His Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get there today, I promise. But God gives us Holy Spirit, and man, we walk in newness of life, and our life changes for eternity, but our life changes for right now as well. That is the essence and the beauty of the gospel. It's not that we have grace and then, hey, hope your character kicks in. Hey, the grace of God is going to take you to heaven. But hey, as you walk on this earth, good luck, buddy. Call me when you need me. But that's the way we sometimes treat our Christian lives. Paul wanted them to comprehend and understand grace. And grace is not simply for our salvation experience, even though it is. Oh, you better believe it is. If any of you think you have done anything to earn your salvation, you, are, you, you are, are sadly mistaken this morning. But he not only gives us the grace that we need for salvation, but he gives us the grace for every day, for every hour, for every decision, for everything that we need to do today. I look at it this way. Every time I take a breath, I've taken a breath of grace I didn't deserve that breath I've taken a breath of grace God gave me something that I did not deserve every time I walk outside and I see the beauty of, of creation and nature I have just partaken of the grace of God every time I interact with you and my friends and, and people that I meet every time I have a human interaction it's grace it's God giving us something that we did not deserve. Every time your paycheck hits your bank account, I hope you understand that it's God's grace. It's God's grace. The fact that you had a vehicle to get here today is God's grace. The fact that you have people that love you this morning is God's grace. Comprehending God's grace. And once we have comprehended God's grace, I believe then we can comprehend blessed are the peacemakers. Hey, you've received God's grace, Christians in Ephesus. You've received God's grace, church and surrounding churches there in Ephesus. Now, peace. Live in peace outwardly. Live with internal 
peace. There's nothing like living with peace. And let me say this, there's also nothing like living in chaos. Have you been in those times in your life where maybe internally there's just turmoil and there's just strife? It's no way to live. And this morning when we comprehend God's grace, we can comprehend living in peace. And let me say this, if your life this morning is chaos, if your life this morning is turmoil, I want to invite you on our journey through Ephesians over the next several weeks. Because I want to invite you on a journey in Christ to comprehending, living in, and basking in peace. In Christ. In Christ. You don't have to live in chaos this morning. You don't have to live in turmoil this morning. You don't have to live in war this morning. You can live in peace. But how? How can I live in peace? When everything is going on around me, life is crazy, life is horrible, don't make me go back and talk to you about Joseph. I don't want to hear about how horrible your life is. I will roll back into Joseph at any time and tell you that Joseph's life was worse. But Ephesians chapter 1 The first two verses that we read this morning, I'm going to show you how this can be. How can we live in peace? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, this morning you can live in the grace that saved you, and you can live in that grace every day. His grace is the only thing that's going to help you overcome sin. His grace is the only thing that's going to help you uh, be sanctified for His service and for His glory. Christian, today you can live in peace with God, and you can live in peace with others. You can. If you want to know how to have your relationships better, stay with us. Ephesians will talk about it. You can walk with Him. You can talk with Him. You can daily partake of the grace of God. He will rule in your life. And when Christ rules in your life, He will bring you peace. He will bring you calm. He will bring you serenity. He will bring you that. But maybe there's some here today who have never received this grace. When Paul addresses this church, he is addressing those who have partaken of the grace of Jesus Christ. And I believe there could be some here today who have never partaken of the grace that Jesus Christ offers. You don't know what it feels like for the peace of God to reign in your life. And if you're here today and you have never received that gift, I want to share possibly my favorite passage in the Bible. It's two verses, Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. The Bible simply says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, I'm sorry, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Let me ask you this morning, do you want peace with God? 
If you don't have peace with God, I hope your answer would be, yes, I want peace with God. I want my relationship. I want to be restored to my creator. Well, that comes by being justified by faith, and that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will be able to stand, to stand in grace, to stand with peace. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you in dying on Calvary's cross, you can be declared just or you can be justified, declared righteous by Jesus Christ and therefore stand in the grace that Jesus Christ offers and as a result have peace with God. Who wouldn't want that? I can be at peace with the one who created me. You mean I can be at peace with my heavenly Father? Yes, you can. And it happens simply because of the grace that Jesus Christ offers you because of him dying on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, works lest any Man should boast. And if you don't like those two verses, then you're not going to like this series because they're going to come back up over and over and over again. This morning, if you'd like to be at peace with God, if you would like to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you would like a real, legitimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, I invite you to a life of grace and peace. It's not a perfect life. It's not an easy life. It's not a life void of problems. But it is a life of grace. And we can live in the peace of God. Heavenly Father, this morning, God, we love you. And God, some of us today are living in turmoil, are living in fear, we're living in war. And God, you offer us peace today. And God, I pray that we would be a peaceful people. God, we'd be a a church of people who understood the grace of God bringing us the peace of God. God, if there's someone here today who has never experienced the peace of God, they've never received the grace that Jesus Christ offered on Calvary's cross, God, I pray that today would be the day. If you're here this morning and you say, Josh, I have to be honest. And by the way, I respect honesty. I respect brutal honesty. If you're here today and you say, Josh, I've never experienced the grace that Jesus offered when he died on the cross. You talked about peace with God. I've got no peace inside of me. No, I don't have a relationship with Christ. No, I don't. I have to be honest. I don't have a relationship with Christ. If my life ended today, I have no idea what would happen to me. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't end up with my heavenly father forever. If that's you here today, we want to help you. You are in a place of love. You are in a place of acceptance. You are in a place of grace this morning. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus in a personal, real way as your Savior, here's what I want you to do this morning. I'm not going to make you say anything. I'm not going to embarrass you whatsoever. But here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. 
If you do not have a relationship with Christ, would you be willing to simply do this? Would you be willing to lift your hand and put it right beside your head? You don't have to lift it way up high. Would you be willing to just lift your hand and put it right beside your head until I see it? Anybody this morning? Be willing to lift your hand and put it right beside your head? Christians here today, maybe we needed to press that reset button. Maybe we look at our relationships, maybe we look at our marriages, maybe we look at those that we love and the family and friends that we have, and we look around in our lives and you know what we, you know what we see a lack of? We see a lack of grace and we see a lack of peace. And maybe today we just need to begin this series by saying, God, speak to me, but God, give me grace, give me peace in my life because Jesus didn't save you to leave you the way that you are. Jesus saved you so that he can continue to work in your life and he can bring you along this journey of the Christian life and he can bestow upon you his grace and his peace. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.